the Integrations and Partnerships Playbook for Product Managers. This is a continued audio reading of the Integrations and Partnerships Playbook for Product Managers, an article series written by MJ Fadi and narrated by Blake Fisher. Part 1. How to Build Product Integrations from Discovery to Launch The Big Picture Before starting any integration work, it is essential to build a mental model to see your projects from a wider view. Features versus integrations. Adding a new non-integration feature to your product means adding the capability of doing a new task or job to be done, otherwise known as a JTBD. As an example, it starts by solving a problem where a user couldn't complete a task. So we're going to add a feature to allow them to accomplish this. However, Integrations do not involve adding the capability of doing a whole new task that the user couldn't do before. Instead, integrations are meant to simplify a JTBD, which the user had to accomplish using two different products previously. For example, before having an integration, the user had to complete one task in your product and another task in another product. Thanks to the integration, both tasks can now be done in one place. The principal value proposition here is in eliminating steps, removing manual work, and ultimately saving time for the end user. Your team and you will spend most of your time delivering the backend part of the integration. Nevertheless, it's crucial to remember that the user value lies elsewhere. Product managers here have a unique role on the team as someone focused on the big picture of the user experience and workflow. To make the learning of the ideas more efficient and effective, I'll be using a hypothetical integration as an example. In this scenario, we put ourselves in a product manager's shoes at Rippling, an employee management platform, who is trying to build an integration with LinkedIn's job board. Please note, this integration is completely imaginary. Furthermore, I have no professional relationship, contract, employment, or else with either of these two companies. Like most other ATS and job board integrations, This integration aims to help recruiters keep everything in one place. By doing this, the recruiter can post new jobs to LinkedIn, review all applicants from all sources, sponsor particular job postings, and even create a new LinkedIn account, all from Rippling ATS. This integration means that applicants could apply for the job directly on LinkedIn without getting redirected multiple times to get to the Apply Now page. Problem space versus solution space. Another subtle difference between an integration and a feature is how the line between problem space and solution space is drawn. For a feature, you can think of all your customers' wants, needs, and expectations as your problem space. Your product and users' interactions with your product constitute the solution space. For an integration, one can see the problem space as everything that requires discovery, the user, the third-party product, their integration with the third-party product, and the third-party API. What you have control over is the solution space, the integration, and your product. Other types of integration. It's important to note that there are different types of integrations. While what I have in this article could be helpful in all types of integration work, the focus here is product plus product integrations, often known as process integrations. Here are some other common types you should know about. Number one, data integrations. This pattern aims to address the need to sync data from one system to another. Database integrations also fall under this category. For example, credit companies and banks who send transaction information to each other. 
This type of integration most commonly doesn't involve any change in the user's behavior. Number two, service integrations. This is when you integrate with another service or tool to add a new feature to your product. For example, you can embed Looker, a business intelligence and analytics platform, into your product to give users extremely powerful analytics tools, charts, and reports, all without leaving your product. Thanks to API-first companies, this type of integration is growing in popularity exponentially. Number three, merger and acquisition integrations. Fortunately for technical consulting firms, each merger or acquisition is a snowflake of its own with many different scenarios. For example, a product can get merged with another product. For example, Apple could use BuddyBuild, a continuous integration, continuous deployment, and feedback platform for iOS. Or a product can be placed inside another company's product suite without much change in the user behavior, similar to how Google integrated YouTube after acquisition. To learn more about this topic, I recommend looking at Investopedia and A.G. Kilkarni's articles on horizontal versus vertical integrations. Please see my website for these links. Now, let's talk about what it takes to build an integration. Discovery. Like any other project in the discovery stage, we should go over every element in the problem space. We'll start with play number one. Start with the customer's problem. As a product manager, you should already know your customer's persona, their main needs and wants, and the domain they inhabit. You should deepen your customer knowledge around their interaction with the specific product you're integrating with by asking, what jobs to be done does your customer use the third party product for? What tasks are involved? What is their relative value to each other? Knowing the answer to these questions is integral in shaping the solution and spotting the areas you must pay more attention to. Look out for users' current pain points. Ask about the tasks that are more cumbersome to accomplish without an integration. Take note of how frequently those tasks are done. Now let's go back to our example of a rippling ATS and LinkedIn integration. Here we have two user types, the recruiter and the applicant. Any rippling product manager probably already knows most of the high-level tasks to be done for each of these user types. This is the case with specialized companies with deep institutional knowledge in a specific domain. Nevertheless, it's important to document all these tasks and subtasks for maximum alignment. To help prioritize the areas of focus, we should dig deeper to assign a relative value to each of these tasks. How often are jobs posted on LinkedIn? What percentage of the jobs are posted on LinkedIn? What is the value in receiving all applications in one place? What is the percentage of customers who don't have LinkedIn accounts? What percentage of users who sponsor jobs on a regular basis? What percentage of applicants who choose not to apply to a job on LinkedIn because they are redirected to Rippling? And lastly, the percentage of average jobs applied per applicant. Play number two, master the third party product. You should know the product and the company you're going to be, going to be integrating with exceptionally well. To get to know the third-party product, use the product, obviously. Do every task that your customer usually does. To become an expert, you would want to try every setting and observe the minor details. Pro tip, many products have different tiers and access levels. Negotiate or purchase unlimited access to a full featured version of the product. Otherwise, you might miss important edge cases in the free versions. Scan all the knowledge base and FAQs available online. 
Ask your integration partner for other resources such as internal training materials, a list of customer touchpoints, or any user journey maps that they're willing to share. To get to know the third-party business, read more about the company's history, business model, operation model, and anything else you can find. Pay special attention to the current list of integration partners. See if the third party has ever integrated with a company of your type, your direct competitors, or in other markets. It's crucial to know whether you're building a first-of-its-kind integration. Play number three, study the API. Modern SaaS products often have open APIs with public documentation. However, if that's not the case, you probably need to request access through a partnership. Inquire about signing a non-disclosure agreement or NDA to get access to documentation or go through a developer program. More on this in part two of the playbook. You need to study your partner's API extremely well before defining, defining the integration or writing a single line of code. I strongly recommend you do not delegate this step to your engineering team for these three reasons. Number one, the API dictates the feasibility and usability of almost everything that you want to build. As a product manager, you need to learn what's possible and what's not. Number two, asking your engineering team to translate the API for you will put you a degree of separation away from the truth and makes designing creative solutions extremely difficult. And lastly, number three, if the API doesn't support the capabilities you have in mind, you'll want to request those API features as far in advance to the project as possible. Since it's often the product managers who spearhead these negotiations, they should have a good understanding of the API. If you don't have a technical background or haven't studied technical documents before, don't get overwhelmed by the API jargon. To get started, here's a short list of things you should learn. Number one, types of APIs. One can categorize APIs based on the access level, private, public, or open, or the protocols they're built on, things like SOAP, REST, or GraphQL. Number two, authentication and authorization. First, you need to learn the difference between these two concepts. Then, you need to know the most common authorization standards, like OAuth version 2 and OpenID Connect. Finally, you should understand the concept of scopes. Here's a tip in looking beyond endpoints. The majority of business APIs today are built on top of REST with OAuth version 2. When reviewing any API documentation, pay attention to all the endpoints and the input-output data for each. Also, don't take the API documentation at face value as sometimes, one, there could be existing useful but undocumented endpoints or features, or two, some endpoints might be end of life in the future. Now, Back in our example of a rippling ATS and LinkedIn integration, we know that LinkedIn doesn't have their API documentation made publicly available unlike many other companies. Therefore, a partnership agreement is required. I recommend spending an extensive amount of time studying the API in the span of four to six months before this project's kickoff. In my experience, there are always some use cases and edge cases that still need to be discussed with our partners. Tracking those in advance will make the development process exponentially smoother. A side note on non-native integrations. iPaaS, or Integration Platform as a Service vendors, such as Mercado, Zapier, and MuleSoft, have grown in popularity exponentially in the past few years. Depending on your market, your customer persona might always be versed in one of these tools. If that's the case, 
you may want to consider solving the business problem by joining one of the iPaaS software marketplaces, defining a small set of recipes and triggers, and letting your customer do the rest. Now, on to solution definition. Play number four, project scoping. During the solution design stage of an integration project, same as a feature project, we need to scope the project into different milestones. However, there are subtle differences in how a project should be scoped depending on the project type. In feature projects, you decide to add a feature to your product so that the user could do a certain task or tasks. Then, you decide how deep you want to go in each task and their subtasks. For example, let's say you're adding a profile picture feature to your product. This feature could involve the following subtasks. Preview in the profile section. View, edit, or remove. Upload a picture from your computer. Take a picture using your computer's camera. Crop before uploading. Import from Gravatar. Custom permissions for the picture. For example, visible to all or visible to only admins. And lastly, access to older photos. Depending on how core the profile picture is to your product, you may want to build only a few of these subtasks with little flexibility, like Salesforce, or go deep in all of them, like Facebook. Facebook's profile picture feature has a lot more customizations and flexibility than Salesforce's. In integration projects, much of the scoping is around which tasks to include in the integration. Overall, there's less room for you to decide how deep you can go in each subtask. When you decide to automate a task with your integration, you have to give the user almost everything he or she needs for that particular task in your product. Otherwise, the user will still need to keep both your product and the third party to that specific task, which defeats the purpose. Because of this, you should be even more strategic about which tasks to include in your integration. For our Rippling ATS and LinkedIn integration example, I would choose to automate the core recruiting tasks involved in posting a job and reviewing applications for that role. I would also recommend intentionally leaving out most of the billing piece, as there's a low return on investment or ROI in building the infrastructure to handle credit card transactions on LinkedIn's behalf. Play number five, feature considerations. After defining what high-level tasks to include in your integration, it's time to get into specifics. Like other product features, there are many things to consider when defining the requirements. Though most product managers develop a mental or literal checklist of any considerations, I'd like to highlight the ones that are especially important to have in mind for integrations. User experience, or UX. With all the design tools and techniques out there, be sure to make your integration's UX flow as smooth as possible. I'd suggest focusing on user journey mapping. Journey maps are particularly valuable artifacts here due to the plentitude of touch points, notifications, actions, and tasks for the user between two products. With our earlier example, when the user posts a job on LinkedIn from Rippling, they may get an email from LinkedIn informing them that they need to pay extra for that posting. This is just one of the small edge cases that could easily be overlooked if we don't map all of the user's touch points in one place. User journey maps are also valuable visuals to show for which tasks the user has to come to your product versus the third party. Data models. As products get more specialized, their data models become more specialized with them. It is totally natural for your third-party partner to have a much more rigorous data model regarding the tasks that you're trying to achieve. Before attempting to connect the two systems, 
you need to study these models to one, make sure you have all the necessary fields, and two, design how they should be mapped. With our example, LinkedIn's job board has a data model built to support every possible job type on the planet. In contrast, Rippling probably doesn't even have the job type field to begin with. To maintain the data integrity for LinkedIn, it's best to add a simplified version of this field to Rippling. Pro tip, I'd suggest addressing field conflicts before shipping the actual integration. Adding the new fields in your product's data model and pre-populating values for older data will minimize sync errors when the integration is live. Statuses. The concept of statuses exists in almost every software as a service product, often for accounts and users, but also for dif different business objects. For example, job postings in an ATS. Like data models, you should study third-party statuses and think about all the variations between your product and theirs in advance. In my experience, most of these sync complications usually lie within oversaw variations of these statuses. In our example, when a user posts a job at Rippling, they could also decide to automatically publish it on LinkedIn. As simple as the happy path is, there are many complications involved. Number one, the job posting can be in more than one language. For example, each job board handles multi-language job postings differently. Some expect to treat each version, French or English, as a separate posting, and some expect one record for both. Two, the user could authorize Rippling to post on LinkedIn on their behalf and later revoke the authorization. For example, what should happen to the jobs already posted in this case? The worst case scenario, users can later decide to change LinkedIn accounts, but what should happen to the old jobs posted with the old account? Number three, the user's account status on LinkedIn could get suspended at any point. For example, how should we inform them about this and what should happen to the jobs already posted? Number four, after hiring the job, the user might archive the posting temporarily, but decide to repost the job later on. So for example here, should we post a new job on LinkedIn or repost the older job? And lastly, number five, when a candidate applies directly on LinkedIn, a status is attached to them. For example, should we pull applications for closed jobs? As a product manager, you should aim to develop heuristics and rules to simplify all of these cases. There's always a value trade-off between how simple or explainable you make these rules and how flexible or complicated they are. Do not entirely delegate this task to your engineering team. Instead, use your customer knowledge to make an intentional choice here. Authorization or auth. The user experience flow in which the user authenticates your product to do actions on their behalf could differ significantly based on your third party, their user experience and auth protocol. So I don't have much to add here other than two tips. On the technical level, I'd recommend using a flowchart to map all the edge cases. On the UX level, before redirecting the user to your partner's website, try your best to explain to them about all the access permissions you are asking for. Datasync. Automating the datasync is, of course, one of the central value propositions of any integration. Depending on how you architect the sync, your integration could feel seamless or not valuable at all. For every data point, field, or business object, there are three things to pay attention to. Direction. Should this data point be sent, received, or both? How should the data be sent? Which system should expose an endpoint? How should the data be received? Does their third party have a callback mechanism, or should you pull the data on a certain frequency? Trigger. 
Should it be on event, example, click of a button, or scheduled? And lastly, frequency. How often should the sync happen? Even though most of these are technical decisions, PMs should be involved, as they contribute in two ways, by providing logic and ideal customer outcome, and by providing the context needed to make user experience and user value versus feasibility and cost trade-off. With our Rippling ATS and LinkedIn integration example, let's say that LinkedIn's API, due to technical limitations, doesn't have a callback ability. In this case, for the Rippling LinkedIn integration, we wouldn't be able to receive new job applications instantly. Instead, we have to pull them in certain frequencies. Deciding on the right pull frequency would be a collaborative effort between the product manager and the engineering team. It involves estimating server cost by observing the number of applications we expect at any given time per customer, feature adoption rate, and business goals. We should factor in how important job application data is for our clients and whether our competitors are doing an excellent job with this. The sync frequency you finally land on should be a solid balance between customer value and usability and server cost. Pro tip. Work with your product marketing and training teams to educate your customer on the specifics of data sync. Your marketplace or app directory website is a good place for these details. The Bamboo HR Marketplace is an excellent example of how you can educate customers on the sync direction, trigger, and frequency. Security and privacy. Security is critical in integration projects as you're making yourself more vulnerable by exposing endpoints. Many of the biggest hacks in the past few years have been through partner integrations, for example, the target hack. So even though security is mainly your delivery team's responsibility, ensure your security subject matter expert is involved from the project's inception. As for privacy, work with your team to eliminate or minimize customers' private data, leaving your servers. Ensure you ask for your customers' informed consent and keep your service level agreement or SLAs up to date. Play number six, nomenclature. One of the best things that a scaling product team can do is invest in naming standards. Ideally, you would want to have the same nomenclature from code to your customers and even partners. This is not only incredibly powerful, but also a prerequisite for domain-driven design or DDD. Avoiding transliteration between you and the third party might not be possible since there's a high probability you already established different names for the same things. In that case, to avoid confusion between stakeholders, document your terminology and point out inconsistencies. This could be as easy as creating a shared table in Google Sheets. Side note on authorization. One major inconsistency that I observed in integration help articles is around the word authorization. Some companies use the more customer-friendly but less accurate logging in to describe this. Some, like Slack, call it connecting, and many others just refer to it as authorization. There are no wrong answers here, and it's certainly too late to push the world to a common language. Nevertheless, you should at least ensure internal consistency within your company. Play number seven, do a proof of concept. Even if you're under a tight deadline, Try starting your project with a proof of concept or POC. POCs or feasibility prototypes are especially helpful to validate assumptions and experience some of the unpredictable edge cases, which normally would be found later on. 
POCs are even more critical for first-of-its-kind integrations. Note, POC is not the same as a Technical Design Document, or TDD. Your engineering team should ideally do both. Delivery. Play number eight, test accounts. Coming by test accounts can be a challenging task depending on the product you're integrating with. Try your best to negotiate an unlimited or no expiry date test account with unrestricted access or no hidden features for your team. Throughout the delivery, these test accounts can be used to learn the third-party product found in play number two for manual testing and preparing support material, for example, knowledge base articles. Post-launch, you will need to keep your access to observe third parties' new updates and reproduce potential customer bugs. Ideally, you should also aim to attain a test API key to keep your production data completely isolated from the test data. Play number nine, feature analytics. Every new feature's usage should be measured and analyzed, and integrations are no exception. However, when setting up analytics for your integrations, Keep in mind to track events related to both users' actions and sync between the product. The latter is especially important here because, one, for some tasks, the user might choose to use their party product. Only tracking users' actions in your product will lead to missing user insight. And two, depending on how you've defined the sync, integration errors might occur without a user present. You must keep track of the errors. Side note on hoarding customer data. Unfortunately, it's common practice for companies to hoard all the user data from their integration partners' products. For example, every time a customer connects their LinkedIn account to Rippling, Rippling could technically collect all of their information, including the jobs they previously posted, thousands of their old applicants' resumes, and much more, even though the old data is not needed for this integration. Acknowledging that your customers' data in other systems could be a great source of user insight valuable for machine learning and many more use cases. I'd encourage you to avoid data hoarding at all costs. This is not illegal as the customer has authorized you to access their data. However, hoarding data without users' clear and informed consent is overstepping their boundaries and immoral. Launch Plus. Play number 10, monitoring and maintenance. Integrations are more susceptible to unexpected errors compared to product features. Therefore, setting up telemetry and error monitoring are non-negotiable. Ask your team to take some time to relax and recharge the week before the launch because the hard work starts after. Moreover, if you're doing a partner integration, request access to your partner's analytics dashboard. Play number 11, support. For any big product features, you would need to make sure your customer support or CS teams are fully equipped to support your users. For integrations, I would recommend doing three extra things. Number one, document, document, document. Early in the project, you decided what tasks and subtasks you need to automate, found in play number four. Now it's time to document all those for your customer support team and users. Ensure you have clearly explained what we're not doing as your user knows who to contact, you or your partner, for help. Pro tip, if you're doing partner integration, it's always great to have them review and strengthen your support collateral. Number two, give your CS team access to monitoring tools. It's quite common for CS teams and early stage SaaS companies to not have access to backend logs. 
If that's the case in your company, your first few integrations are good opportunities to change this. Unlike features, most of an integration's logic lies in the backend. Therefore, most bugs are not diagnosable without the right tools. Enable your CS team to read only access to logs and monitoring tools and provide them with the needed training. Otherwise, even the slightest customer issue will be treated as an escalation and waste valuable engineering time. Number three, establish escalation processes. Even with the right tools, some issues will require you and your partner's time to disentangle. Establish an escalation process with your partner and assign go-to CS people on both sides for these cases. This is the end of part one, how to build product integrations from the Integrations and Partnerships Playbook for Product Managers, an article series written by M.G. Fadi and narrated by Blake Fisher. Please consider listening to part two, which covers how to establish integration partnerships.